This week I was thinking about um, summertime and about uh, different places I've actually been in my life during, during the summer and some of my favorite. One of, one of the places that was the most unique place I've been in the summer was uh, I used to live in eastern Washington State in the middle of a, of a wheat field. Uh, the church that was there was, was literally in the middle of a wheat field and the parsonage or the place where the pastor lived was right next to the church basically. It was a couple houses away basically from the church. And uh, if you were there in the evening, uh, it was just death, deathly quiet, except for the occasional coyote who was eating a cat in the, in the distance. Um, my father-in-law was the pastor there, and so when my wife and I were, we were married and I was the youth pastor there, they asked us during this one summer night, would you, would you guys want to stay near, you, tomorrow you're going to be involved in the ministry of the church and we're going to be away, why don't you stay at our place overnight and... Uh, and then the next day you can do the ministry of the church. And I say, oh, that's great. So we stayed, we stayed in their house. Um, and again, it's one of these old farmhouses in the, in the middle of nowhere with wheat, the high wheat. All these, perfect for aliens to be attacking you from every, from every side. And uh, I have a pretty uh, lively memory. This is back in the, in the 1990s as well. So lots of alien movies out at the time. Also one, if you remember, called Jurassic Park, which had things called velociraptors in them. Do you remember the velociraptors, some of you? No? Uh, like short dinosaurs that eat people really quickly, especially in wheat fields. Um, so <laughs> late at night, we had my wife and I, I think we had watched that movie just recently, and I, my wife was, uh, we were sitting there, and it was deathly quiet. You couldn't, like, you couldn't hear anything. Of course, you hear the house creaking and all sorts of stuff, and the sun had finally gone down over the hill, and you hear the, of the cats being eaten in the, in the distance, and you're, you're sitting there, and I, I just said to her that, uh, this is the most freaky thing I have ever done in my, enti- in my entire life. Uh, are you scared? Yes, I'm scared. Uh, I wish there was someone here. Oh, we were a little bit frightened. But then I decided, look, instead of being the one who is waiting to be eaten, we might as well have fun with this. So I started to play Velociraptor with my wife, and I would hide around the house, and I would, and I would come out and try to attack her. Uh, we're still married, which is, which is great, but... Um, I would hide in the quiet. Finally, after I got tired of that, I would hide in the corner like I was dead somewhere, and she would start freaking out because she she realized that she was all all alone. And it occurred to me that no, when I was a kid, I felt that way all, a lot. You know, like if if your parents went out or you you didn't uh, you you were in a place that you were just by yourself, even the little guy or a little girl, uh, you, you would just freak out of your mind. My daughter this week called me on the telephone, Daddy, because I wasn't home yet. She, Daddy, I'm sitting in the back porch, and I've got a flashlight with me, and someone's coming out. Honey, it's like four in the afternoon. It's, you're fine, right? But that's the thing that happens to us. We are freaked out by being alone, and we recognize how vulnerable we are to aliens or velociraptors or whatever when we're all, when we're all alone, and so even, you know, the movies will even talk sometimes about, uh, you know, the plight of somebody who might be left all alone on a desert island, for example. You remember the Tom Hanks who cast away uh, all those years ago? And here's this guy left all alone on an island. He'd got a plane crash, and there he is out, out there, and he washes up on the beach, and he's got nothing with him except for a volleyball, which he ends up getting a face because, of course, you're going to have at least a friend with you, and a good chunk of the movie is him talking to a volleyball. Problem, of course, with volleyballs is they don't help you when things are going wrong. They just sit there and they just sit there and stare at you. What we need, what we need, and really want in our lives is is some somebody who is always going to be there to take care of us. I don't care how old you are. 
You, you want the knowledge that there's somebody who's going to be by. You're not going to be left alone ever, that you're not going to be left at the peril of all the factors around you, that you're out of your control. You need the assurance that someone is there who's powerful enough to care for you and has love for you enough to make sure it happens. Well, this psalm, Psalm 121, it, that's, that's, that's what it about, it's about. It has one point. You'll see it as, as we go through. Uh, the point is God will be with us and watch over us wherever we go and whatever we do. It's a, prom- it's a promise of the scriptures, but a particularly a promise of this psalm, that God will be with us and watch over us wherever we go and whatever we do. So we're starting our series for the summer today. Uh, summer in the Psalms, we have flamingos behind me. I don't know why, but there are flamingos behind me. You can ask the people who put them there. Um, but today we're going to do just Psalm 121 and other weeks we're going to just look at a bunch of different psalms and be encouraged by the poetry in the scripture, which are filled with images, which is what this passage is filled with. So the way I want to go about this, kind of our outline today is one point, it's the point I just made, God is going to take care of us no matter what, but he's going to do it, the psalmist, with five different images. One point with five images. So let's look at the five images. And you'll see at the end that it's a repetitive point. So here's the first image, the mountains. Verse 1, Psalm 121, psalmist says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Why is he looking up to the mountains? In in the ancient world, If you were going to build a temple to one of the gods, you never built it out by the Fraser River. You you never built it on the farmland. You you went to Sumas Mountain for that kind of thing. You did it at the top of the Coquihalla. You would always put it on what they call the high places, which, of course, is meaningful because you kind of thought that the high places, the mountains were closer to heaven. And so you you would put your temples, your shrines, on the tops of mountains. And so if you're down in the valley... And you're looking up all around you, like you do here in in our town. You look all around you, and there are different hills, different high places all around. This is what the psalmist is doing. He's down there in the valley, and he's looking up at all of the high places around. And he's saying, I I lift my eyes up to the mountains, not just one of them, but many. And on each mountain, there will be a high place, usually to a different God. Where does my help come from? And what he's asking is, from which God do I get my help? Which mountain do I get to trust? There's a lot of options out there. He answers his own question. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So in other words, one of the gods of those mountains, the one who dwells in those days on Mount Zion, where the temple of the Lord was, he is supreme among all the others in what way? Well, he made them. He's the one who makes the heavens and the earth and everything in between. So if I'm going to put my trust in someone to look after me, it should be in the one who is the supreme king, the supreme uh, creator of all those things. And so you get this kind of picture in Psalm 146, for example. It says this, uh, don't put your trust in princes. Right? In Trudeau's. 
or Trumps or whoever, Shears, don't put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground, and on that very day, their plans come to nothing. We're going to build a bridge. Well, you're dead now, so it's not going to happen. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. Why? He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. He doesn't have a used-by date. It's not going to be a moment where all of his plans are, are a disaster because he faded away. He got hit by a car or something. You can put your, you can put your trust in the Lord because he, he transcends all of the things. There's no one and nothing that can care for us like, like God can. That's what you're supposed to learn from the mountains. Okay, so then he's, he's going to use a whole bunch of other images. Here's the second one. So mountains is the first or second one. A slipping foot. Look at verse 3, the beginning of it. He, he will not let your foot slip. Now, this is coming right off the back of him talking about mountains. Probably refers to climbing in the mountains. I was at a Bible college years and years ago uh, where the guy who ran it, his name was Hans Peter, and he was like a world-class mountain climber. In my mind's eye, I still have this image of this guy. You ever seen those fake climbing walls? They sometimes we put them on the backs of like concrete walls at our houses or something. They got those little things on it. If you've ever been to a climbing wall, they'll they'll do that as well. I still remember this man uh, putting one foot on one of those little pegs and putting two fingers on the other peg and giving a lecture for 30 minutes, holding on with one foot and two fingers. This was an object lesson. I can't remember the object lesson because the whole time I was like, dude, you're going to (laughs) fall. Like, how do you do that? It's remarkable. One of the things that he said, though, while he was talking was that uh, when you go mountain climbing, one of the most important things that you have is good shoes. For obvious reasons that most people, he said, you always need to have two points of contact on on the, the surface of the rock when you climb. That's the mistake some people make is that, you know, when we're normally walking up in the mountains, we only have one point of surf, one point of contact with our feet. But you just have to have two points of contact. So in case one of them slips, you have the other one there. But you really need good shoes because most people, when, when they slip, it's not their hands that slip, it's their feet. And you, you assume your feet. So you need, you need great, great shoes. This, this passage is saying is that the Lord is a really good pair of shoes, He's good climbing shoes. I read in the article this winter, actually. Do you remember we had these ice storms this last little winter? Uh, it was an article in Vancouver Sun, and it was trying to say to people like me who grew up in the Seattle area and aren't used to having ice everywhere, it was like, here's how you walk on ice. I, actually, I read it from start to finish because I'm like, yeah, I need to know this. And it was talking about how you need to take little steps and you need to waddle. There was like a whole image. You could watch a video of somebody waddling on top of the ice because people like me, I fall on ice all the time because I want to take big steps. One of the pieces of advice it had is you need to get a good pair of treaded shoes. Right, God is like a really good pair of ice shoes. He's not the ones with the big spikes on the bottom, right? He's a good pair of climbing shoes. He 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 won't let your foot slip. The Lord is the ultimate in that way. He will make sure that your steps don't ever take you in ultimate disaster. You might feel like you're slipping at a point in time, but not really. Not from his point of view, 
It's a controlled slip. Lift your eyes up to the mountains. A, a, a slipping foot is another image. Third, uh, a sleeping guard. Second part of verse three and then verse four. He, he who watches over you, right? So watches over is an image of a guard. Will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I was talking to a friend the other day who was saying that when they got back, uh, they're on our baseball team, and the, this woman said that when she got back late in the evening to their house, uh, the house was all locked up, but her husband and her son were inside. But she didn't have her key, and for some reason there was no way for her to get in, and so the only way was to try to wake up these, these men in the house. So she said she stood outside and banged on the door, and nothing. She banged on the door for another like five minutes, and nothing. So they resorted to the old, you know, I love you trick with the pebbles at the window, and she's throwing things at the window. She said, I thought about throwing rocks through the window, you know, uh, nothing. She started, ring, they ring the doorbell a thousand times, nothing. Finally, after about 20 minutes, her husband comes downstairs like, totally disheveled and looking out the door like, what's going on? And he opens the door and she's like, what's wrong with you? Her son never woke up, never woke up. She said, I'm never trusting him for any reason ever again, right? If anything goes wrong, we're all dead, all right? There's a tornado, whatever, we're done. That's not, that's not the way God is. He, the Lord doesn't need his rest. He doesn't get home from a long day and say, oh, I just want to sit and veg on the couch and look at the TV. Don't bother me. He doesn't slumber. He doesn't sleep. He's always, he's always alert, even when it doesn't feel like it. All sorts of images in the Psalms where the psalmists are pleading with God, God, why is it that you're asleep? And of course, the answer is, well, I'm not asleep. It just seems like it at the moment. You feel like I'm not alert in the moment, but I am. There's nothing happening to you that isn't being given to you through my loving hands. It's actually a really great story about God sleeping in the New Testament. You, you'll know it. Jesus is, is on a, a boat. Here's how it goes, Mark 4, verse 35. Um, that day when evening came, he said, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side. Can I ask you really quickly what, they, what he said there? Did he say, let's go to the middle and die? No, I had a girl, right? Boy. No, let's, let's. Hey, guys, let's get together. We're going to get in the boat over here. We're going to go out three quarters of the way, and then we're all dead. No, we're going to go to the other side. It's a word from the Lord. Verse 36, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall, not just any kind of squall, not just any kind of storm, but a furious one came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now the people on, on the boat here are, for the most part, professional fishermen who make a living by fishing on this lake. The back, how well do you know the lake, Peter? Like the back of my hand. How many times have you been in a squall on this lake, Peter? I countless. Are they a problem? Well, sometimes they're bad. But this one was so furious that even he's freaking out. 
thinking, of course, that they're going to die. Verse 38, Jesus was in the stern in this furious squall, asleep on the cushion. God was asleep on a cushion. So disciples woke him and they said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I mean, I thought you were the kind of God who is never sleeping or slumbering. So he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. The way I talk to my kids when they're talking in the middle of my shows. <laughs> Shush. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. I love that part because it's not like yeah, after an hour or two it sort of died out. <laughs> it just, no, it just stopped. He said to his disciples, why, why are you so afraid? In the still now, and the storm's gone, in the still as the boat's just sort of bobbing there and there's no real waves coming against it, their jaws dropped open. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were what I would be, terrified, and asked each other, who is this guy? Even the wind and the waves obey him. What should they have done? Now, he rebukes them at the end. What, what is it that they should have done? What's he expecting them to do? And the answer is he's expecting them to trust him. Even though it looks like he's asleep in the back, and maybe very well might be asleep in the back. The presence of God in the boat means the boat is safe because the Lord didn't say, we're gonna go to the middle and die. He said, we're gonna go to the other side. So they should have trusted him. Why? Because even though it might look like God isn't alert and caring for you, he is. He's with us in our boats. and The destination is sure. There are no storms that can destroy us. Not with this God with us. You lift your eyes to the mountains. He won't let your foot slip. He won't slumber or sleep. Fourth, he's, he's, he's like shade from the sun or moon. Verse five, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. One of the things that I first learned when I moved to New Zealand is how addicted they are to sun protection. If you're sitting on the beach in uh, New Zealand, because the ozone layer is sort of thin down that part of the world, and the sun is so intense in the summertime, if you're not wearing some form of hat or massive amounts of sunscreen, they will come around with hats and sunscreens and shade and say to you, they actually have employed people to walk around the beaches and say, slip, slap, slop. Slip, slap, slop. You're like, what are you talking about? Slop, slop, slop. That's what they say. Well, slip on a shirt, slap on a hat, slop on some sunscreen. Slip, slap, slop. Why? Because the sun is dangerous. To protect you from the dangers of the sun, you, you need to have some kind of shade. And so you, a lot of people with umbrellas, a lot of people with these big hats. Our kids always had these hats that, you know, had these tails on the back of them so their necks wouldn't get, wouldn't get burned. The sun is similarly intense in the Middle East. If you've ever, if you've ever been there, uh, you want to be shaded from the Middle Eastern sun, certainly to protect you from a, from a sunburn, but more importantly, it dehydrates you very, very quickly, gives you nausea if you get heat stroke, you get very tired. They talk about hallucinations in the middle of the desert. They call them mirages and stuff, Yeah. Because the sun has this intensity about it, and it can be harmful to you. And so God is, God is the protector. He is the shade. He is the, 
He's the holy umbrella that, that blocks it from you so that its intense rays and its harm can't touch you. And similarly, he does the same thing at night. Now, you and I are like, wait, wait a minute, what? what? Okay, so he protects us from the sun and from the moon. We need protection from the moon? Well, in the ancient world, yeah, they used to believe the moon's rays would make people crazy. Uh, we, have you ever been with somebody before, though, who says something like this? Uh, when their kids are, like, bouncing off, you're at their house for dinner or whatever, their kids are bouncing off the wall, and you're like, oh, your kids are very um, lively, you know, and they'll say, well, it's a full moon. Have you? <laughs> no? This is just my friends. I've been to some of your houses and you said this kind of thing. No, like, it's a full moon. We get the phrase moonstruck from, from something like this, right? It's because in our history, we kind of think that that's the way it, it, it has worked before. That there are the, you know, the moon's phases and stuff has an effect on people. That's, in the ancient world, that's certainly what they thought. And so... The psalmist isn't saying, oh, that's true. He's, the psalmist is basically saying, I don't care whether or not there is such a thing as being moonstruck or the moon has its effects or the sun has its effects. God can protect you both from the, the, the sun in the day and the moon at night. And that's what you call a Hebrew merism. A merism is two opposites and by using them, he means and everything in between. God can protect you in the night. He can protect you in the day and he can protect you any other time you can think of. And so when you get to the New Testament, you actually get passages that really play on these opposites to try to make the same point. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 37. I want you to notice what the, the merisms, the opposites that mean both these things and everything in between. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, Neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now you think, you think of something. You think of something that could give you harm. What this passage is saying is that that thing is not greater than God who made the heavens and the earth. And he's the one who has a special care for you. So lift your eyes up to the mountains and uh, he's like a someone who doesn't let your foot slip or he doesn't sleep or slumber and he provides shade from the sun and moon. And then, and then the last one, which is actually the biggest one in the whole passage. Verse seven, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He's a guardian. He will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. That, that little word, he, he watches over is a word that's used throughout the Old Testament to talk about the way a gardener will watch over their garden or, or the way that a guardian will watch over the thing they have been tasked to guard. I was a really good gardener for a short period of time. I was forced into it when I lived in New Zealand. That's kind of what they did there. I had redesigned our entire lawn. It took hours and hours and hours of, of time so, so after I was done with it, anytime any little weed would, would grow, I had this big bottle of Roundup that I, that I would use. I know, in Canada, Roundup's like, when I say that, it's like, it's like I just mentioned that I have a semi-automatic machine gun or something like that. You notice that? You go to the stores here, and they keep the Roundup with the guns, right? <laughs> but in New Zealand, you can spray Roundup on everything. It, just, it doesn't matter. And so I had this big bucket of diluted Roundup, and anytime I saw any single weed, I was out there pumping the thing and killing the weeds, 
digging the weeds out of my, my yard. Meticulous about it. I was out there every day. Sometimes I would peruse the plants along the edge to make sure that they were all growing as they would, my little snippers in my hand. I haven't done any gardening since, by the way. There's, I'm so sick of it. But that kind of attention, meticulous alertness, noticing every, every little thing, because I've invested so much in it. God's like that. He watches over you like that. Or he watches over you like a, like a guardian of a piece of property does. When you were a kid, did you ever remember playing the game Capture the Flag? Some of the kids in the room will, will remember it. There's a part of it that you have to go hunting through the woods and you find the place where the other team hid the flag and then you have to grab the flag, run through the woods and take it to your side. But they always employed a group of flag guardians who, if they were smart, would hide behind trees near the flag, but be constantly alert and ready to attack whenever somebody showed up. So the person would think, oh, the flag is just being unguarded, and they'd grab the flag, and then the guardians would come, and they'd descend on them. If you want to be a good flag guardian, you're constantly seeing who's coming, and you get a good vantage point. You never turn your attention away. That's, that's what God's like. Always looking, always on guard. This, this image of God watching over us is the dominant image of that. You notice that, right? I mean, that phrase, he watches over us, was repeated. Uh, verse three, he watches over you. He who watches over you won't slumber. Verse five, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is a shade in your right hand. Verses seven and eight, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Do you get the point? God will be with us and watch over us wherever we go and whatever we do. Or as the book of Hebrews says, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere, mere mortals do to me? Let me, let me just finish with this. Um, my, my mom used to love... Uh, Summer was her favorite time of year. When I was a kid, growing up, I used, to, I used to swim competitively at this pool that was about 20 minutes away from our home. And I would, she would drop me off in the morning. She'd go home, and she would come back like late in the afternoon, like 6 or 7 o'clock, and pick me up. I spent all day, every day at the Somerset Pool in Bellevue on the east side of Seattle. She would always come and pick me up at a particular time and take me every day. So my job was to go out at that particular time, sit on the edge of the sidewalk in front of the pool and wait for her. Well, one day I went out and sat there and she didn't come at the time. And then she didn't come a half hour later. This was the days, of course, before cell phones. I went inside and I said to the people who ran the pool, hey, my mom's not here. I tried to call her on the phone, no answer. So I went back outside and I sat on the edge, sat on the edge, sat on the edge, finally uh, about... Two and a half hours late, my mom pulls up, driving like a demon up the hill, <laughs> pulls into the empty parking lot. The sun is descending. It's like, seriously, at that point, it's like 9.30 or 10 at night. You know, I'm nine years old, and I'm sitting there by the side of the thing, trying not to cry. She pulls up, she gets out of the car, and she walks over, and she said, I'm, I'm so sorry. Honey, I fell asleep. I was so tired today, I had a nap, and then I got up and I made dinner. And it was while we were in the middle of dinner, I looked around and said, where's Jeff? 
And it was at that my father said, I don't know. <laughs> and she said, and all of a sudden I realized, oh my God, I have left him at this pool 20 minutes. I drove as fast as I could. Can you ever forgive me? <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose so, you know. It was, it was great, actually, for, for days later. I would ask her for things. Like, Mom, can I get some bubble gum? No, honey. Well, Mom, you were the one who left me out to die, right? I mean, so, okay, you can have it. It is quite possible that in your life you have felt at some point rejected or left alone in a place of great harm or danger and not known what was gonna happen. What this passage is trying to do is encourage you that God is always there for his covenant people. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus, you are his and he is yours and there is nowhere you can go where you can get away from his love. He will always be there, never sleeping, never letting your foot slip, always being your shade and guarding your every path for your eternal good. It's a good way to start the summer. Let me pray. Father, I'm thankful for this little passage, for this psalm. I pray, Father, that you would bless us as we think about it in the days to come. You remind us, Father, of maybe some of these images. We thank you, Father, that you love us. We, we did nothing to draw your attention to us, Father. The things we did should have made you turn away, but you haven't. You know every last thing about us, and you love us still. So for your pursuing, kind, gracious, always and forever love, we're thankful. Help us to rest in it this summer, we pray in Jesus' name.